opportunities that God sends our way are a natural fit with who we are and what we're gifted to do. That's great. But other opportunities go completely against the grain, like the opportunity to forgive someone who's hurt you. Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond, and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Yeah, we can't finish off this series about not missing God's opportunities without talking about those opportunities that we really don't want to grab a hold of, like forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it. Now let's dive into God's Word and see what He has for us. Over the past few weeks, we've been travelling along with young Joseph, son of Isaac in the Old Testament, on his journey through life. A journey that has some real downers, much like your journey and mine. And yet a journey that was heading in a direction that only God could foresee. There was Joseph, one of 12 brothers, the youngest one and dad's favourite. His father was Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. Although God had given Jacob a new name, he called him Israel. And unbeknown to anyone, these 12 brothers were the fathers of what would become the 12 tribes of Israel. It was a long way off yet. Here's what the relationship between Joseph and his brothers looked like when Joseph was young. Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 to 4. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. And this is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age and he'd made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the other brothers, they hated Joseph and they couldn't speak peaceably to him. But things only got worse from here because Joseph had two dreams which he shared with his brothers and father, that one day he would rule over them and they'd all bow down to him. That was it. That was the last straw. His brothers plotted to kill him. But ultimately, instead, they sold him into slavery. From there, he's transported, as we've seen, to Egypt. He becomes Potiphar's slave, is thrown into prison where he rots for a few years, and finally, finally, through a set of circumstances that only God could have orchestrated, becomes the ruler of all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And again, under God's hand, Joseph as the ruler has stored up in Egypt surplus grain that was produced in the years of plenty so that when the famine hit, there'd be enough to eat in the land. And not just in Egypt, people travelled from all over the known world to purchase grain in Egypt because they were starving. And as God would have it, some of Joseph's brothers travelled to Egypt to buy grain as well. They had no idea what had become of Joseph after they sold him into slavery. They told their father Jacob that he was dead. But lo and behold, one day they stood before Joseph and bowed down to him just as he dreamed in that dream all those years before as a young boy. Genesis chapter 42 verses 1 to 8. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Israel, he said to his sons, Why do you keep looking at one another? I've heard, he said, that there is grain in Egypt, so go down, buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he feared what harm might come to him. 
Thus the sons of Israel were among the other people who came to buy grain, for the famine had reached the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the whole land. It was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves down before him with their faces on the ground. When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognised them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Although Joseph had recognised his brothers, they did not recognise him. Now, we don't have time to go through the whole story of how Joseph dealt with his brothers. It, it runs for several chapters, Genesis 42 to 46. It's really worth a read. So if you have a Bible, grab it in the next day or two and check it out for yourself. But can you imagine how Joseph felt? These mongrels of brothers who plotted his murder and then sold him into slavery now stood before him and bowed down to him just as God had told him in that dream as a young lad would occur. And he was now the ruler of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And he now had the power of life and death over them, just as they had had over him. Finally, a chance for revenge. Finally, here it is, justified with God's favour on him. And these men who did him such a terrible injustice were begging for food before him. What an opportunity. And as you read the story... Joseph was seriously tempted. He was torn. He struggled between his hatred for them and his love, between revenge and forgiveness. He accused them of being spies and locked them up for three days. And then he took one of them as a hostage in prison to force them to go back and get their youngest brother, Benjamin. He played tricks on them. He gave them an incredibly hard time. You see, one of the things that just doesn't come naturally to us is forgiveness. He had been so hurt and damaged by his brothers, he was tempted to kill them all after he toyed with them in the dark and terrible cat and mouse game. It went on for some time, but then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the house of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither ploughing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 to 7. Joseph took the greatest opportunity of his life, the greatest opportunity God handed him. He forgave his brothers, not just in word, but indeed, he saw that God had sent him, even through their evil, to preserve their lives. Have you ever had an opportunity to harm or forgive someone who's hurt you? Which way did you lean naturally in the flesh? Towards extracting your pound of flesh? That's what Joseph wanted to do. And yet, he'd been travelling too long with God to do that. 
God had been with him in the pit that his brothers had thrown him in. God had been with him on the journey to Egypt in chains, in the slave market when he was sold as a slave, in prison where he was thrown after being wrongly accused. God had been with him every step of the way. And at each turn, God had placed an opportunity for Joseph to do good or evil to behave well or to behave badly, to use his natural gifts and talents to grab hold of opportunities or not. And at each turn, Joseph stepped up to the plate and took a hold of those God-given opportunities. He didn't realise it at the time, but it's that consistent pattern of behaviour that brought him to the place of power and privilege in which he now found himself. And it was in this place that he faced his biggest test of all, to forgive or to take revenge. Forgiveness goes against the grain. Forgiveness, when you think about it, is unjust because we choose to forego our right for punishment and recompense. But no matter how badly you've been hurt, no matter how unnatural that step of forgiveness appears to you in the place that you're at, it is the greatest opportunity that God will ever give you. So seriously, Does God take forgiveness that he sends his only son, Jesus, to die for you, to pay for your sins? And it cost him everything. It cost him the life of his son. So when this opportunity to forgive presents itself, what do you do? Take revenge or forgive? I'm convinced that one of the hardest things in life is to keep our eye on the big picture. Maybe it's a project at work that involves a lot of people and a lot of complexity. Maybe it's a plan you have for your life, and yet time and time again, things happen to derail your brilliant plan. Or maybe it's simply setting your life on a course to follow Jesus with all your heart, and yet you discover that the road is narrow and hard and and inconvenient and uncomfortable, and, and some days downright painful. And when that happens, what happens to the big picture, the end goal, the reason that you're following Jesus with all your heart? It just kind of, I don't know, it just evaporates, doesn't it? Here we are in the last message in the series that I've called Don't Miss God's Opportunities. Well, one of the main reasons that we do miss God's opportunity to do good on those days when we feel that that following Jesus ain't all it's cracked up to be is that on those days, we lose sight of the big picture. Now, to be fair, we can't always see the big picture, and that makes it even harder. When the Lord our God has us on one of those dark, scary, uncomfortable valley journeys, and you actually can't see far enough ahead to know what comes next, to know how it's going to turn out, to know why he's put you in this place to start with. Often it's only in hindsight that we can see what he was up to all along, and even then sometimes... We don't get the full picture. I was speaking at a businessman's breakfast fellowship just recently. All successful, high-powered businessmen. They asked me to share my testimony. And it's a story, let me tell you, of as many low points as it has high points. And as I retrace those steps, sharing the incredible things that God's done in my life, I again just had that quiet assurance from the Holy Spirit that all along, I'd actually been on the journey that God had planned, even in those dark and difficult times, especially, in fact, in those dark and difficult times. It's the sense that Joseph, Jacob's son in the Old Testament, had when he finally stood in the place that he dreamed of as a young teenager, 
a position of power and privilege as the ruler of Egypt second only to Pharaoh himself. And as we saw before the break, his brothers now stood before him. Those same brothers who'd sold him into slavery out of their jealousy and hatred all those years before. Instead of exacting revenge, he forgave them and he explained to them why God had allowed this all to happen. Let's take another look at this together. Genesis chapter 45, verses 4 to 15. Then Joseph said to his brothers, guys, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are five more years in which there will be neither ploughing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and the ruler of the land of Egypt. Hurry up, go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks and your herds and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honoured in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. What a beautiful picture of reconciliation after, after such treachery that brought so much suffering. But the bit that I really want you to notice here is that Joseph finds meaning to all the suffering because he sees the big picture to explain what's going on. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on all the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it wasn't you that sent me here, but God. He's the one who made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. In other words, by looking back and seeing the journey through God's eyes, he sees what God was up to all along. God's purpose was to do his family good, to preserve and protect them. And for that purpose, a purpose that he couldn't see in those dark places along the way on his journey, which had taken now over 20 years, that's why he had to suffer treachery and slavery and injustice and imprisonment because God had had a plan. And now Joseph could see it looking back. And yet even at this point, can I say... Joseph really had no idea, none whatsoever, of the important part that his small journey was playing in God's overall plan for humanity. In that passage we just read, did you notice the brothers would go back and get their father Jacob, or Israel as God had renamed him, and bring the whole family down here and settle in Egypt? Out of that, over the next four and a half centuries, grew a mighty nation of Israel, whom God saved through Moses, crossing the Red Sea with 40 years in the wilderness before he brought them back to the Promised Land. See, through Judah, one of the 12 brothers, God started a lineage of generations that finally, many years later, resulted in the birth of Jesus, 
who came to save you and me by dying on that cross. Joseph's story, Joseph's journey is still having eternal ramifications in your life and mine through Jesus of Israel. That's mind-blowing. The big picture is so big that none of them really knew what God was up to through this terrible journey of Joseph's. Honestly, the only way to lay hold of the big picture when we're immersed in the trials of our journey is by faith. Just believing that God has a plan, that God knows what he's doing, doesn't matter how much it hurts on the way, that eventually God will reveal to us through hindsight that part of the picture that he wants us to see. Holding on to God's picture by faith is what keeps us going. Step by step, doing good, doing right, looking for the God-given opportunities that he sets before us. And faith is the assurance of things hopeful, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen has been made from things that are not seen. Hebrews 11, 1-3. When we lose faith in the faithfulness of God and his big picture, although we can't see it for ourselves, we stop doing what's right. We stop looking for his opportunities. We stop hoping and dreaming. We stop doing what we know is right, even when the rest of the world seems to have gone stark raving mad and none of the pain and suffering makes any sense. My friend, I want to implore you, don't give up. Don't lose faith. Don't stop looking for those God-given opportunities to use your gifts and abilities to do what you know is right, to forgive those who've hurt you. Don't give up. Because one day you will stand before God and you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's why Jesus died for you. That's why Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in you the moment you put your trust in him. That's the big picture. So whatever you do, don't miss out on God's opportunities. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're a parent. Some of us are, some of us aren't. But just imagine for a moment you're a parent and you have these children that you love with all your heart. What do you do for them? Well, you work hard to give them new opportunities. You pay for their education. You run them to music lessons or choir practice or or training for the sports or athletics teams that they're part of. What's all that about? It's about creating opportunities for them to discover who they are, what they're good at, and what they want to be doing with the rest of their lives. All that we do for our children is about equipping them and providing them with opportunities. Now imagine that this child of yours, for whom you've sacrificed so much, is lazy and disrespectful. Instead of grabbing those opportunities that you've sacrificed so much for, they laze around, they don't apply themselves, they whinge and complain about everything. How pleasing do you find their reaction to the opportunities that you've created? It's not a difficult question to answer. It's not a trick question. So why do you and I imagine that God's any different? If we as parents know how to give good things to our children, even though we're flawed and imperfect, how much more do you think your Father in heaven is prepared to give good things to you and open doors for you and create opportunities for you? And he expects us to grab hold of them and to do something worthwhile with them. Not to be lazy and immature and grumbling and complaining individual who never achieves anything with the abilities and the resources that God's given you through the opportunities that he's prepared for you. So to bookend this teaching series, let me begin with a scripture that we kicked things off with a few weeks back. 
as they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So he said to them, look, a nobleman went to a distant country to get royal power for himself and then return. He summoned 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 pounds and said to them, do business with these until I come back. But the citizens of his country hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to rule over us. When he returned, having received royal power, he ordered these slaves to whom he'd given the money to be summoned to find out what they had gained by trading. The first came forward and said, Lord, your pound has made ten more pounds. He said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been trustworthy in a small thing, take charge of ten cities. Then the second came and said, Lord, your pound has made five pounds. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You will rule over five cities. Then the other came saying, Lord, here is your pound. I, I Look, I wrapped it up in a piece of cloth because I was afraid of you because you're a harsh man. You, you take what you don't deposit and you reap what you don't sow. He said to him, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked slave. You knew, did you, that I was a harsh man, taking what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow. So why then didn't you put my money into the bank? Then when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. He said to the bystanders, take the pound from him and give it to the one who has ten. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten pounds. I tell you to all those who have more will be given. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be king over them, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 to 27. Are you getting this? God's blessed you and me with an awful lot, each according to our own gifts and abilities. And his expectation is, isn't that we waste it. His expectation is that we do something of eternal significance with all that he's given us. His expectation is that we'll live a life that counts and a life that bears much fruit for his glory. His expectation is that we'll grab onto each God-given opportunity and do something with it for him. Are you getting this? Your life matters. You matter. And you can make such an awesome difference in this world. You've been listening to Christianity Works with Bernie Dimet. Before we go, there's something truly important that I need to share with you. This podcast is only made possible through the prayer and support of friends like you. Each week, millions of people hear about Jesus through Christianity Works radio and television broadcasts and through podcasts just like this one. Your generous gift of support today will help take the gospel of Jesus Christ far and wide around the globe. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.org and click the donate button. And when you do give, don't forget to request your free copy of this month's latest life application e-booklet. Thank you so much for your generous gift of support today. Again, that web address is ChristianityWorks.org. I'm Jennifer. We'll catch you again next time.